only thing I can say that bothered me today, 12, I'm sorry, 12. And the only thing that bothered me, yep, I'm thinking, here's what I'm thinking. Um, I'm also preaching this Sunday night, the 30th anniversary of our first church in Quitman. So I've got all these dates running through my mind. Anyway, um, the only thing that bothered me today was that almost nowhere on TV did it show those towers being hit. And I think it should have. Lest we forget what happened to us and who really attacked us. But anyway, um, it's been something to watch our country kind of go through the motions these last 12 years and the way that we have tried to push aside what took place. Uh, I believe personally it was a warning sign from God and America still needs to repent. Amen? So anyway, and then the 30th anniversary this Sunday night, of course we'll be here this weekend here, but then we blow out of here after the third service Sunday and go to East Texas where 30 years ago Kathy and I started our first church and I just can't believe it. It's just like, you got to be kidding me. It's 30 years ago. So, and uh, I know they're going to be showing pictures that I'm not going to want to see. You know, 20 pounds lighter and no gray hair and, you know, and my associate uh, emailed me today and he, the one that was my associate pastor there and said, you think you're worried about 20 pounds. He said, I'm 50 pounds beyond where I was. And I got to watch all those pictures. But it was 30 years ago today that we started that first church. And um, so here we are. And I'm still doing as somebody criticized me of once. And I was glad to accept the criticism. I'm still doing the same old thing. You know? <laughs> yeah. All right. How many of you are ready to get into the Word today? We're, we have tonight and next week, and we're done with the Song of Solomon. And it's been a great, great series, and I really love going through this book. My first time to teach it, and I'm going to do it again somewhere down the road. It's been a great, great series. But let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are drawing your church closer to you, ever closer to you. And we pray that tonight you will show us your power, show us your love, show us your grace. And Lord, by the Spirit of God, let our relationship with you be closer than it's ever been, than it's ever been. Give us an edge, Lord. Give us that extra something in our walk with God that this book teaches us. Thank you, Lord, for drawing us near. Can you just pray this prayer with me tonight, church? Say, Lord, draw me closer. Even as the day of your return draws near, draw me closer. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, perk up and listen. You're going to need this before you get home. <laughs> amen. Now, um, last week we looked at the hour of testing, and we didn't get to uh, finish the hour of testing, so we're going to do that tonight. But once again, for those that might be new, there's this is a poem. There's not any one I don't think there's any one interpretation. There's several interpretations that good people go with. I really believe the one we've been teaching is, makes the most sense. It is a poem, so it's open to interpretation. It's not like studying doctrine. 
This is a poem that the Holy Spirit gave to us. And I believe there's no doubt about it that it's a picture of Christ and his church and our walk with him and how we are to resist the tempter and draw near to him and stay close to him and choose him above all else. So here's the main characters. The main characters are, of course, the shepherd who represents our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's the Shulamite who represents you and me. The Shulamite has been kidnapped and taken into Solomon's pavilion. She was out there, a a shepherdess, and one who worked in a vineyard, labored in a vineyard. And one day Solomon's men came along, saw her. Solomon had commanded them to get her. They apprehended her and took her to Solomon's pavilion where he fully intended to make her one of his harem. Okay, so there she is, a captive in Solomon's court. So Solomon in this poem, no way that he is Jesus Christ. No way he's a picture of Jesus Christ. He's a picture of the tempter. He is seductive. He is um, underhanded. He is forceful. He is demanding. He's lustful. He's selfish. And none of those things describe Jesus. So I can't go with the interpretation that in this poem, Solomon is a picture of Jesus because he's just not. And then there's the court women. Court women were those that were already a part of Solomon's harem, and they worshiped Solomon. They were sold out to Solomon, and they are a picture of the people of this world who are given over to the God of this world and cannot understand our love and affection for our shepherd. When was the last time somebody out in that world understood the way you love Jesus? It's not going to happen, all right? I understand the way you love Jesus because I love Jesus. And that's why we have church, because we want to get together with a bunch of other people that love Jesus and worship him together. Amen? Now, uh, we ended last time with the Shulamite having endured an all-out campaign of seduction on the part of Solomon. He really came after her because as you approach the end of this book, you begin to see he knows he's losing. He knows he's losing the battle. He knows he's not winning her over. So he starts getting desperate. And when he starts getting desperate, he starts revealing his true colors. Okay? So, in spite of the tempters, that is Solomon's strongest efforts, the Shulamite remained resolute in her loyalty to the shepherd, her beloved. Perfect picture of how you and I are to remain in these last days when, folks, it's getting darker by the hour out there. Amen? But I believe God's going to have a bride. God's going to have a church that is shining, that is bearing fruit, that is witnessing, that is not sold out to the culture, not sold out to Solomon, that stays true, stays loyal, walks through the fire, and is a bride without spot or wrinkle that meets Jesus in the air. That's that's where we're all headed, I hope and I trust. Now, this was a new experience for Solomon being rejected. He wasn't used to it. He had fawned. He had flattered her. He had drawn from his deepest resources of wisdom and experience with all these other women to win her over. But it had gone on and on and on and on, but it hadn't done any good. Only once had the Shulamite been able to interrupt him long enough to tell him it was all an accident. In other words, what she told him, if you'll remember back last week, she told him, I didn't choose to be here. Your guys came 
your men and apprehended me and brought me into your court, but I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't looking for you. I never had desire for you. Now, here's this man with this super ego, and this is not blessing him. Amen? It's all an accident. She had never intended to put herself where he could tamper with her. She had always been in love with the shepherd she had met in the fields, a picture of Jesus. But now it was her turn to answer him. The tempter had stopped at last, and he didn't have anything else to say. The appeal to flattery is over. Now we're going to see the application of firmness in the Shulamite's fidelity. Now listen carefully. We're going to see that she is firm. There is no wiggle room with her. She's firm. I am not interested in you. I never have been. I never will be. Get out of my sight. She treats him the way we need to treat the devil. Okay? You don't argue with the devil, debate with the devil, leave the door open a crack for the devil because he will kick the door in. You've got to be as firm as this Shulamite was with Solomon. As we look at her words, we're going to see the very essence of resisting temptation successfully. Anybody been tempted so far this year? Okay, I just want to see if I'm living with real people here. The rest of you didn't raise your hand. I want to meet you afterwards. Let me, let me try that again. Anybody in here been tempted yet this year? All right, we're real human beings, aren't we? And there is a tempter in this world, is there not? And boy, he's after the church. Now, what the Shulamite does, we must do. It's exactly what she does is what Jesus did when the devil tempted him in the wilderness with three key temptations. How did he answer? By quoting the Word of God. Did he give the devil any room at all? No, none. The Bible says, make no place for the devil. Don't give him any land. That word place, which says give no place to the devil, is topos. It's where we get topography, topography. And the idea is don't give the devil any land in your life at all. Not one square foot of land in your soul are we to give the devil. Jesus didn't give him a square inch. He quoted the word all three times, and thwarted by the Lord's firmness and the Lord's fidelity, the tempter crept away. And I'm going to tell you, he was baffled and he was defeated because for once he met a man he could not defeat. Now, similarly, Solomon, from this point on, left the Shulamite alone, left her alone. Never again are we going to find his voice raised in this book. He's done. He gave it his best shot. He lost. So let's see then how the Shulamite did it. To all of the eloquence of the tempter, the Shulamite has but one reply, and I want us to say the reply together, can we? I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. Let's try it again, everybody, because this is how you answer the devil. Say, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. That's how she answered him. He gave it his best shot, poured out all this flattery, and then he got downright crude and rude and carnal and lustful. And what does she say to him after this barrage of words? Solomon, I am my beloved's, and his desire is toward me. In other words, 
no vacancy. In other words, not interested. In other words, my heart is taken. You might as well take your bag of tricks down the road because you're not going to find any desire in me for you. And that's the way. She says, here's the reason, because I'm already in love with another. I love the shepherd. Now, church, hear me carefully. We're not in a religion. We're not in a religion of rules and regulations. and a rule. The Bible's not a rule book. That's not what we're in. Christianity is a relationship with the great shepherd in heaven, the captain of our salvation, the keeper of our souls. And so as long as we keep our hearts on him, we are able to say to the tempter, I am my beloved's and he is mine or his desire is toward me. So I'm just flat not interested. That's why it's so important to keep our first love alive. Jesus wrote to the Laodicean church and he said, you've, let, you've lost your first love You've lost that first love. I want you to get it back. I want you to repent because you need to keep that first love burning because as long as it's burning, the tempter is not going to find a major inroad to your life. That was that. She essentially says, now then, sir, go away. Shoe fly. Don't bother me. Okay? Seriously. My affections are pledged elsewhere. My shepherd loves me, and I love him, case closed. Now, I want you to notice something. Look at what she says. She says that the shepherd's desire is for her. Do you see what she did here? She did not say that her desire was for the shepherd. Because if she put it here and said, my desire is for the shepherd, then Solomon would have considered her to always have a vulnerability being a human being. My love is for the shepherd. Oh, really? Well, let's see if we can change that. But she didn't do that. She said, his love, his desire is for me. And she took it off of herself and put it on the Lord. And, and that put the relationship that she had with the shepherd on a higher, more unassailable ground. Here's what she was saying. Take it up with my shepherd. You want to come and attack me? L listen, the door is shut. It's the old story. The devil knocks on the door of your life. And you go to the door and you say through the door, who's there? And you say, or, or the voice on the other side says, the devil. You say, go down the street, nobody home. Go take it up with the owner. You put it on Jesus. Take it up with my shepherd because he's the one who desires me. So I'm turning the battle over to the Lord. What does the Bible say over and over again? The battle is the Lord's. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord that he will show to you today. For the battle is the Lord's and it's not yours. So it's wise to say, look, devil, tempter, uh, I'm not standing on my feelings. I'm standing on his love for me. You take it up with him. And I'll guarantee you, he will take you out back and whoop you good. He's the only one who can. Take him on. Take him on, not me. And in saying this, she gave the battle into the shepherd's hands. I can't tell you how important it is when you're really being assailed by the devil to take it to the Lord and say, Lord, you see what he's doing. You see how he's coming at me. You see who he's using. I was counseling somebody this week who is under attack at their office. 
and, and they're really being berated at their office. I said, I don't know what to do because I've got to work with these people. And what do I do? And I said, well, here's what I would do. I would go out every single day, several times a day, and I would say, Lord, I give you, and I would name them. I give you Jane and June and Judy and Jill and Bob and Steve. I name them to you, these people who are making my job so miserable, because when they attack me, Lord, they attack you. So I give them to you, and I start, and I said, I would, I would give them to the Lord several times a day, and you will see eventually the Lord will undertake for you. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord, I will repay. Avenge not yourselves. But bless those that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven. Because what does he do? He makes his son to rise on the evil person and on the good, and he sends his reign on the just and the unjust. For if you love only those who love you, what more have you done than sinners? But you're not any longer a sinner. You're a saint by the blood. So as a child of God, bless them and give them to God, and he will undertake for you. That's what the Shulamite was doing. She was saying, Solomon, take it up with the one who loves me. Very, very wise woman. That's how you handle temptation. All we need to say to the tempter is, there's my beloved, there's my shepherd. Go take the matter up with him, for his desire is toward me. Church, I want you to know, Jesus' desire is for you. Do you know how much he wants the father to finally turn to him and say, son, Go get your bride. Do you know how much he wants that trumpet to blow so that he can come and take his bride home and not just those that are alive, but those that have already died and gone to sleep in Jesus? He's going to resurrect them, and those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Do you know the Lord's desire is for that hour? His desire is towards me. His desire is toward you. Once her thoughts are finally freed from Solomon's flatteries and able to fix on the shepherd, the Shulamite expresses the longings of her heart. And now she's going to get real. First, she wanted to be with him. She says in verse 11, now she's answering. We're not going to hear again from the tempter in the whole book. Now she answers, come, my beloved. I want to be with you. Come and take me away from this perfumed, painted, and polluted court of Solomon. Come take me away from this phony, fake, fraudulent, sin-infested, devil-infected world. Get me out of this polluted court. Come and take me away to be with you. Anybody ever feel that way? And she also wanted to flee with her beloved. She wanted to flee. She says, let us go forth to the field. Let us lodge in the villages. But she didn't just want to flee. She had somewhere to go. She wanted to go with him into the field, the villages, and the vineyards. In other words, catch this. I never saw this before, but get this. She wanted to go with him to the places where she had labored so diligently in the past before she was taken away by Solomon. Now, what does that mean? Have you ever noticed, how many in here have ever been in love? 
oh man, we need to have an altar call here. <laughs> Bless your hearts. Oh, but I sure want to be. Listen, watch this. People who are in love, invariably, they want to take each other to the places where they grew up. That's the house I grew up. That's the playground I used to play in. That's the school I went to. That's the one I got kicked out of. That's where I spent time in jail. No, I'm just kidding. That's where my parents lived, and I used to walk down this street, and I played marbles right here, and here I fell off my bike. Do you know what I'm talking about? We want people who we fall in love with to share in the defining moments of our life. That's just natural. And we want to take them to those landmark places. Now, that's what she's doing. The Shulamite wants to do that very thing. She wants to share the important moments of her life with the shepherd. I mean, this is love that's going on here. In verse 12, she says that she has something to give him. Verse 12, let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine has budded, whether the grape blossoms are open and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. Now, one translator renders this, these words, quote, There I will give caresses of love. Another translator says, There I will give you my endearments. She's talking about marriage vows. She's talking about getting married, after which their love will be consummated. That's what she's talking about. She's looking forward to the honeymoon. Now, I want you to notice something about this Shulamite. There is no denying that this Shulamite is in love with this shepherd. But do you notice she's always willing to exercise self-control until the marriage? Have you noticed that? Now, I've got to tell you something dreadful has happened to the church in our day. It's, 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 it's hard for me to wrap my mind around, but it has happened. There's a lot of people that come into church. They'll get it there and they'll lift their hands and hallelujah and kumbaya and praise the Lord and I love Jesus. But then they go home and they shack up with somebody. They say, oh, that's a piece of paper. Oh, dear. You must not understand what marriage is all about because marriage is not a piece of paper. Now, what I'm about to say, if I said it, in a college, pick a college, any college, let me go in and say it, I'll be lucky to get out alive. Because we're living in a seriously depraved, backslidden, spiritually dark generation that has thrown the Word of God out. But you'll have people that will come into church just living together and say, well, we don't care about a piece of paper. We're married in the eyes of God. No, you're not. You're not marrying the eyes of God. Who told you that? Well, it's just the way we feel. Your feelings are not your guide. The Bible is. Well, it's, uh, we, we don't feel it's sin because we love each other. Oh, really? So you're telling me that love justifies sin? I can hear some of you going, man, I thought he was teaching Song of Solomon. I'm, I wish I hadn't. <laughs> this is Song of Solomon. This is Song of Solomon. Because the Shulamite... The Shulamite, we're going to see in a minute, she wants to be with him, but, but she consistently waits for that moment of matrimony. 
Well, Pastor Jeff, you know, I think when you love somebody, then that makes everything okay. It doesn't. Well, I don't even believe, and I had somebody tell me that they had just gotten offline talking to a bunch of young adults who told them that they don't believe that fornication, the word, has been accurately interpreted. That, that fornication doesn't mean that you can't be intimately with somebody who you love, who you feel like you're in love with. That's not what it means at all. So I, so I told this person, and I got all involved in the debate because I was sort of like Cyrano de Bergerac in the background, telling them what to say. You don't know that story, do you? You know Cyrano? Okay. Well, anyway, I, I was in the background telling them what to say. Well, you tell them, and they're typing away. I said, tell them that if, if that's not what fornication means, then what is fornication? Well, we don't fully understand that word. It's very complex. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? It's very, very clear. It means you're shacking up before you're married. And God can bless it. This Shulamite refused to go there. Well, if I don't go there, nobody will want to date me. Then say goodbye to them. Matter of fact, I told this person I was talking to, who was also a young adult, I said, I said, listen, take your stand. And they said, but if I take that stand and I tell all these different people that want to take me out that I believe in purity till you're married, no one's going to go out with me. I said, then you're not missing a thing. She said, then this person said to me, but pastor, these, a lot of, this is a, a young lady that Kath and I were talking to. And I, she said, but pastor, these guys go to church. I said, well, they may go to church, but they're not Christians. She said, what do you mean they're not Christians? I said, they're not people of the book. See, I have no problem with people who think outside the box, but I have a real problem with people who think outside the book. Okay? So I said, take your stand. If they all walk away, you haven't lost a thing. You want someone who is a person of the book. All right. I got it off my chest. Let's move on. And she also offered to him the fruit of her life. It says in verse 13, the mandrakes give off a fragrance, and at our gates are pleasant fruits. All manner, new and old, which I have laid up for you, my beloved. Now, in the ancient East, mandrakes were considered love apples. Notice that she says, notice this, in lieu of her wedding day, she has been storing up things new and old for her beloved. Her love for him has been there for a long time. Do you see what she's saying? I have stored things up for the person I'm going to marry. New and old. In other words, when that person comes along, they're going to get things from me no one else has. That's what she's saying. I've been waiting for the one. I've been waiting for the man that I'm going to get with. And, and when that happens, I've been storing things up. And nobody has accessed them 
nobody has gotten them and no one will until I'm married. That's what she's saying. Now, what about us, the church? What can we give the Lord? He has everything, right? I mean, God has everything. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's omnipotent. He's very God. He's deity. What can we possibly give to the Lord that he doesn't have? If this Shulamite had stored things up for her beloved, don't forget she's a picture of the church that is waiting to be finally married at the wedding supper, marriage supper of the Lamb. And so what can we store up for our beloved, the great shepherd, in glory? What can we store up? What what can we give him that he doesn't have? We can give him two things that he's going to prize beyond anything else. Are you ready? We can give him the fervor of our love and the fruit of our life. That's what we can give the shepherd. On that great day when we see him face to face, we can say, Lord, I didn't lose my first love for you. I stayed in love with you. I kept my love for you. I didn't allow myself to get seduced by the Solomons of this world. I didn't allow myself to be pulled away by the lure of the court women. I didn't allow myself to be talked into another love. But I stay true to you. Church, let me tell you, Jesus is near. He is at the door. And when he comes to get his bride, don't you want to be able to say to him, Lord, I stayed in love with you. I kept my love burning for you. I did not allow myself to be seduced away. I saw other people backslide. I saw other whole denominations walk away from you and your word, but I didn't do it. I kept my heart. I stayed in the word. I stayed in prayer. I stayed in church. I stayed in fellowship. And I said no to the tempter, and I did my very best to walk with you. Now, Lord, here, let me give you what I, both new and old, what I have stored up for you. Here's my love. And here's the fruit of my life. Guess what? I live my life for you. Now, I told you at the beginning, uh, this Sunday night, I'm going to go celebrate 30 years uh, of the very first church we ever started 30 years ago. And, you know, I can look back. When I was 18 years old, I started preaching. I'm much older than that now. (laughs) And through thick and thin and lots of ups and downs and many severe attacks, I still stand here tonight by the grace of God loving Jesus because he first loved me. And I can look at the vast majority of my life has been given to serve him. Now, I'm not bragging on me because, listen, if he hadn't touched me, I can't even imagine where I would be today. But because he touched me, the vast majority of my life on earth has been serving him. I can't remember not preaching. I can't remember not ministering to people. I'll say it, 42 years. (laughs) Something else. And, uh, and I lived it for him. And see, everybody needs to be able to say, Lord, once I knew who you were, once you were in my life, not only did I love you, but I also can point to the fruit of my life. I can point to people who I have ministered to, to things I have done for your glory. 
I can point to this point and this area and that area and this time and that time where, Lord, the, the, the fruit of my life is to your glory. Jesus talked about that rich man who spent his whole life living for himself. And then he thought he was going to retire and go play golf for the rest of his years. He said, you've done well, my soul. Go and live the way you want. You've got pr plenty of money, plenty of grain, plenty of granaries all stored up. You've got enough to live on for years. Now go live life. Go live for yourself. And the Bible says, Jesus said, that night his soul was required of him. And do you know that he's the only person in the Bible Jesus called a fool? Why? He said, you weren't rich toward God. This life is a blink in between two eternities. But it's the only time we've got to rack up rewards, to serve the Lord, to prepare for eternity. And you're wise if the fruit of your life is to the glory of God once you've known him. So this Shulamite could say, you know, you got my love and you've got the fruit of my life. And then in chapters 8, 1 through 3, the Shulamite tells him what she wished. She wished first that she could shout her love for him publicly without being despised. Look at verse 1. Oh, that you were like my brother who nursed at my mother's breast. If I should find you outside, I would kiss you and I would not be despised. Now, what does that mean? In that day... Strict social conventions kept a bride and groom apart. It would have been improper for her to express her love for the shepherd openly like she really wanted to. Uh, but if it was her brother, she could have done so. And I don't get it. I don't want my sister kissing me. I don't. And I don't want to kiss my sister. Seriously. But here's what she's saying. If it was my brother in public, I could kiss him and get away with it because he's my brother. But, but because of the traditions of the times, she could not openly show affection to the shepherd, and the restraints are bothering her, frustrating her. And isn't that true of you and me as well? How often we would blurt out in public our love for the Lord, but the world would not understand it. Can you imagine going into Chili's tonight, and right there at a table, in the midst of all those people drinking at the bar and watching sports on TV, suddenly you just let it go and said, Jesus, I love you. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And just started worshiping him right there in front of God and everybody. Wouldn't they look at you like, where are the men in white suits? What is wrong with you? What are you doing? But if it was a sports team that was winning, if it was a sports team, if you've been in Chili's when the bar goes crazy because they're watching some sports team and somebody crosses the goal line and there is a touchdown and they all make complete idiots of themselves and nobody cares, but you can't do that when then it's about Jesus. Try it in an elevator sometime. Watch how fast they push buttons they don't even want to go to. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, I love you, Lord. Just get into an elevator. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Man, they're going to be clawing the walls, pushing. That's what she's saying. I can't openly express my love for him. It's just a, such a true picture. Isn't it strange our society has no problem with the loudest expressions of fanaticism if it relates to sports, as we just said. You can yell, shout, cheer, wave your arms, dance a jig, put cheese on your head, paint yourself green. Wear Tony Romo shirts. 
Anybody still wearing one of those? I just, okay. But not so when it comes to the Lord. You can wear a Romo in great big letters, but wear Jesus. Then, too, she wanted to share her love for him privately without being disgraced. In other words, she, she wished they were married. Eight verse, 8 verse 2, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to instruct me. I would cause you to drink of spiced wine, the juice of my pomegranate. Again in that day to take a man home or even so much as to her mother's house would have been an unthinkable liberty. That's just the way it was back then. And then to give him spiced wine would have been out of the question. The Shulamite is wishing that the marriage day would hasten so that society wouldn't any longer be able to intrude between her and him. I'm going to make a little prediction. As the coming of the Lord draws near, the real church, the blood-bought, true, Holy Spirit-filled, Bible-believing, Christ-loving church is going to begin to experience these kinds of feelings. I am so tired of the restraints of this world. Now, I'm not talking about suicidal thoughts. That's another thing. It's totally different when you love the Lord so much, you want to go home. I'm talking about we're going to begin to experience these kinds of feelings. You know, this world has lost all of its luster. It is a, it is a, 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 a dark, dark place that rejects my shepherd. And as the time draws near, there is going to begin to rise up in God's church these emotions. Oh, Lord, I wish you would come. I want to be with you. I'm tired of the restraints, tired of the persecution, tired of all of the obstacles between me and you because of this world. Lord, I want to be with you. Furthermore, she wished that she could show her love for him passionately without being defiled. In other words, she wanted him sexually, but she did not want to fornicate. Can I just put it bluntly? That's what she's saying. Verse 3, his left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. What the Shulamite wanted was totally proper within the bonds of marriage. She was looking beyond the moment to the future when all restraints would be removed forever. Married. There's a place of love for the Lord Jesus Christ where these very emotions are experienced. Has our longing for the Lord, let me ask you, has our longing for the Lord at times, can you remember a time when it has simply welled up in almost inexpressible longing and desire for him. Do you ever have a moment where you say, Lord, I just, I wish you were here in person. Or I wish I was there where there was no more restraints, no more walls, no more obstacles. Have we ever felt like trampling on every social restraint and shouting aloud, let's do this together. We're in church. We can do it. Ready? One, two, three. Jesus, I love you. Woo. Man, we ought to go to Chili's, all of us, right now. <laughs> and just let it go. Watch them all run out. Take over the restaurant. But didn't that feel great? Yeah. Has the longing for the consummation of all things in glory at times become overwhelming? Have you ever experienced that? Do you know that Paul the Apostle expressed 
just such a feeling in a letter to the Philippian church. Uh, he was torn between two things. I'm going to either go home and be with the Lord or I'm going to stay with you. Now, here's the verse. He says, if I'm going to go on living in the body, this is going to mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Jesus, which is better by far. Do you hear his heart? Just pause a minute. The great apostle's heart. He loved Jesus more than anything in the world. He said, you guys need me here. You Philippians need me here because I'm, I'm helping establish you in the faith. But, oh, I got to let you know, my heart would so much rather go home. I want to be with my shepherd. Then he says, but for your sakes, it's better that I continue to live. Now, notice the unselfishness of this man. He says, I want to go be with Jesus. But because you need me, I'm going to put it on hold. And I'm going to serve you. Just a little aside there, that he was an unselfish man. Even though I want something, you need me, so I'll take care of you. And at the close of John's revelation, at the very end of the last chapter, we hear the cry, the bride of Christ. Can we read this together? The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. So what is the cry of the bride of Christ? Come, Lord Jesus. Just like that Shulamite. As the Shulamite went on and on with her words of love for the shepherds, Solomon must have been standing in the shadows eating his heart out. So what does he do? Having failed to woo her himself, he sends the court women to try once more to incite him or incite desire in her for him. He tries one more time, but he doesn't do it. He sends the worldly women to try to seduce her away. And the Shulamite turns and she repudiates them and all that they stood for fully, finally, and forever. She says in verse 4, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases. Once again, for the, very, for the third time in this book, she says, don't awaken in me illicit desire. I resist illicit desire. The court women are told to leave her alone and stop seeking to divert her love for the shepherd to Solomon. And again, I'm reminded... We're up against a very persistent tempter. Church, you got to know, the devil that wanted to take her love away from the shepherd and transfer it to him, that same tempter wants to take your love for the great shepherd and transfer it to the world, the things of this world, lust of eyes, lust of flesh, pride of life. That's the design of the tempter. When you love Jesus, we've got to know we get a bullseye painted on us. I have a card, a, a, a card that I send to pastors. It's two deer standing in the woods. One of them looks normal, and the other one looks normal, except he's got a big bullseye on his chest. 
And the other deer says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> because he's targeted. Can I tell you, listen, we're not playing a game. We're in a spiritual warfare. And the tempter, when the tempter hears us say what we just did, I love you, Jesus, he puts a bullseye. And his intent is to take the love you have for him and sully it and scandalize it and dilute it and transfer it to love for other things. And he never gives up. He never takes a vacation. He might suddenly assume a very low profile, and you may be going along like, wow, this is great. I, I must have defeated him finally because I haven't been attacked in so long. Life is good. Hey, don't kid yourself. He's sizing you up, walking around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Always be wise and discerning of the devil's attempts to get at you. His agents, like the court women, are always working for him. Any expression of love on our part about our great shepherd will most certainly be followed by a fresh attempt by the tempter to bring about a fall. Do you know that? But I got good news for you. If you walk with the Lord Jesus and keep your love for him, I told our staff the other day, I said, staff, we're playing hardball now. And we're all in the staff room. We're all standing up and we pray after every staff meeting. I said, we're playing hardball. We're, we're ministering to 2,000 plus people a week. And not only that, but we're going out by radio to thousands of people every single day. We're playing hardball. And I said, here's what you can never, ever, ever give up. The day you let your devotional life fall to the wayside, and you quit getting with God daily and getting into that word and getting into prayer and giving God your cares and your problems and getting full of his spirit before you walk out the door, the day you let that go, it's only a matter of time before either something blindsides you and you cave because all the while you have not been involved in your devotional life, the inside of you has been weakening or you will fall into sin. We are only as strong as our last time with God. So I said, staff, let's have an understanding. We get with God every day. We get with God first. I told them, I get with God. And I, this is no pat on the back. I do it because I understand what I'm up against. I get with God in the morning before I eat. Not before I have coffee, but before I eat. I get my coffee, I go out on the patio, I take my Bible, and I dig into that Word, and I let it feed my soul, and I feed on that manna. I gather that manna every single morning. It is the highlight of my day. There, I, more days than not, I cannot wait to get out there and start reading about how God moved and all the promises and feeding on that manna. Then I go eat. And you're no different from me, just because I'm a preacher. This Shulamite, all through these temptations, has kept her heart on him. And that's how she won the battle. 
So you can do without a lot of things, folks, but you can't do without your daily time with God. That's how you abide in the vine. He that abides in me and my word abides in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. All right, can we stand together? And next week, we're going to finish when we talk about an hour of triumph. Man, it's a great word. But let's just lift our hands to the Lord Jesus, our shepherd. You know, as she was talking about her shepherd and just said, I love him, can we just tell the Lord, I love you, Lord. The bride of Christ needs to say that. I love you, Lord. I love you, King Jesus. In Jesus' name. Go ahead and just tell him for a minute. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And let's just sing it now. I love you, Lord. I love you. Take joy, my King.